1: You're listening to the Master Wildlife Filmmaking Podcast, Episode 31. In 1986, Sophie Darlington's curiosity was aroused by Peter Matheson's book, The Tree Where Man Was Born. Shortly after, she arrived at Gibbs Farm Safari Lodge in Tanzania. Whilst there, she ran into Hugh Miles and Keith Scoley two of the BBC Natural History Unit's finest, who inspired her to become a wildlife filmmaker. In 1990, Sophie was introduced to the legendary wildlife filmmaker Baron Hugo Van Lawick, who was, as luck would have it, in need of a camp manager and sound recordist. It turned out he also required a new camera operator. So Sophie studied cinematography for several years under his watchful eye in the Serengeti National Park. Since 1991, Sophie has worked as a filmmaker and cinematographer specializing in natural history in remote locations throughout the world, from 78 degrees south to 78 degrees north, with a whole lot of Africa in between. Her impressive list of credits includes the BBC's Perfect Planet, Seven Worlds and Dynasties... Netflix's Our Planet, as well as National Geographic's Earth Live. Sophie was also part of the core team that won the BAFTA for cinematography in 2016 for the BBC's The Hunt, and she was accepted as a BAFTA member in 2018. In the future, Sophie would like to spend more time promoting the role of camera women in wildlife filmmaking, as well as teaming up with young creatives with an expertise in technology to explore new techniques and alternative avenues for natural history content. Good evening, Sophie. Thank you so much for joining me on the Master Wildlife Filmmaking podcast this evening. How are you?
0: I am very well. Thank you for having me along. Um, how are you?
1: I'm good. I'm great. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure to have you here. And it looks nice and bright still, of course, we're getting into spring now. So it's nice and bright there in London. And um, it's morning, of course, here in Nevada. So we're a few hours apart. But um, as you're probably aware with the Master Wildlife Filmmaking Podcast, it's all about helping aspiring filmmakers see how the pros in the industry got to where they are and some advice uh, to help them along their way. Um, So I'd love to just get right to the start and find out how you became the camera woman that you are today. How did it all start?
0: How did it all start? Well, by accident, I think most probably. Um, I, I wasn't one of those kids who was enmeshed in worms and dissecting things, but I was a kid that could be found watching light. My thing is always Jake being light. I love it. It completely, I see light and I'm, I'm just like, you know, I'm drawn to it, moth to a flame. And um, I think that I left school. I had no idea what I wanted to do, what I wanted to be. I was at sea. I went and worked in a shop. Everybody said, go to art college and being really sensible. I went, <laughs> no, not a hope. Um, and I ended up not, taking a kind of normal route, but going off to Tanzania. Um, And that doesn't sound like a normal route. Um, I I essentially got a break through a friend of a friend of a friend, which is often how these things happen. And at the age of 19, headed off to Tanzania for three months. I stayed for two years because I fell in love with it. And I was volunteering out there and I met a BBC film crew. And when I met them, it was like, Ah, now I know what I want to do. That's it. And so I asked them for a job. And as is traditional with any person that you ask in the business, they say, no, go on.
1: <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> they said, go and go and get, go and and get prove that you're interested, which is actually a really good piece of advice. Um, so I didn't come to it till much later until I found Hugo Van Lawick, who very kindly became my mentor. But it was initially, it was sort of through a, a, a sort of like, It's much easier now, I think, to be a wildlife filmmaker. There's loads of courses.
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, what I love, it sounds very much like Doug Allen's story as well, meeting the BBC out, you know, out when he was in the uh, Antarctic. I mean, I love that about traveling. You know, I traveled when I was young and so many opportunities opened up to me. And um, I think you know it's one of those things that when you're chasing something so so hard you know so so many people really want a career in something they chase it so hard a lot of the time the opportunities aren't there because they're so tunnel visioned whereas when we just go off and kind of you know explore the world so much opens up to us i'm not saying that's the only way to do it but it sounds like that happened for you so how old were you when you headed out to tanzania
0: so I was about, I would have been around 19, 18, 19. Okay. And um, and I, I guess the thing was that we were so lucky, Jake, to live in a time where travel, now that we see how difficult travel has become, and also the sort of, the, you know, the ecological fallout from traveling too. So it was sort of like we lived at a time of ignorance, I guess, and going out uh, to to East Africa, going out to Tanzania, I met these incredibly inspiring, I met scientists, um, I met photographers, I met uh, paleontologists, and it all just sort of, as I say, it just sort of formed this fantastic kind of world in which I was able to go, that's what I want to do. And and seeing, um, I met actually um, Keith Scully, who now runs Silverback Films, um, and um, also Hugh Miles, who is one of my heroes as a cameraman still to this day, and, uh, Adrian Warren and um I as I say I asked them for a job and I still tease Keith and say it took them 25 years to give me one.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well mm-hmm. so now you didn't you didn't start off though as a camera person, right? You you did some other stuff. Is that right? Did you do some sound recording it. before?
0: No, I did everything before. I worked in a shop. I worked in an animation company. I Um I did um I worked on the teenage mutant ninja turtles for two years back in Dublin whilst I was trying to work out how I could get back to Tanzania. I started in Tanzania as a camp manager. Um and I made myself really useful. And I think that's something we all know that if you want to get on, you make yourself useful. You see a gap, you see a hole, and you like, oh I know, hold on, I can preempt this, I can get involved. Um, and I learned from some amazing people, very generous people with their time. uh, sound recording is As you say, spotting, sitting with Hugo, watching a lot of watching, watching people dissect their rushes, because we had a plethora of camera people who came out, incredibly talented camera people. And um, every evening, not every evening, because that's that's what happens now, that we can watch stuff immediately. Every couple of months when the VHS has arrived back from Europe, (laughs) we'd um, we'd watch the rushes. And there would be this brilliant moment of critique where Hugo and all the other camera people would critique each other's work. And that was an amazing way to learn. So yeah, I didn't start by being That's... a camera person. With your sure. original and quite quick question.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and so you know, learning through watching people like that is so fantastic. I, I used to do the same thing when I was hosting. I would go and watch the rushes with the cameraman just on the on the camera every night in a hotel room, and just look at the framing and look and learn that. And I I I love that creative side so much so you know, I didn't want to host anymore. I want to be behind the camera and work on that creative side because it just pulled me to it. And actually, I heard you say in an interview once that you have an instinctive eye for framing and composition. You look and it's just, it comes instinctively to you. Do you feel like that's always been, or do you think it's actually part of your experience of of growing.
0: No, I think I think that I I um and I'm left eyed. I'm left handed very much and left eyed. And if I try and film with my right eye, it's a disaster. <laughs> um, um, I can't frame things naturally. And right. with my left eye, it hurts when they're in the wrong place. Yeah. Um, it, it's sort of I know when things and to the detriment sometimes because I'm so busy framing. I'll um you know in the past one of the problems was I would be so busy framing I'd miss the behavior. I'd be like ah okay, gotta learn not to do that. Right. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so absolutely. And whilst working in Alaska once with a wonderful uh, camera assistant, uh, he was he was struggling with this still somewhat. And I just said, "What eye are you?" And he said, "What do you mean, what eye are you?" And we went through the whole thing. You know, this is how you check your eye, and and you know, you you you, you close one eye, and you you know that that thing, you know what to do. Jake, sure, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So I was sitting there and I said, you know, put it in the middle and, yep. and then and then close the eye. And if it moves, the other eye is the dominant eye. You know, you're, whichever way around it goes. Anyway, he sat there. He'd been using entirely the wrong eye for taking pictures. He swapped to his other eye. He now makes an absolute fortune.
1: Maybe I He's should funny. try that. <laughs> I'm going to try my other eye. As soon as we what? get off this call, I'm going to check out my eye. <laughs> <laughs> so that's...
0: You have one eye that definitely... Yeah. And, but some people, um, um, you know, they just. My other half, he, he, you know, it didn't. Wouldn't matter what eye he used, he wouldn't sure. be able to find it to save his life. Luckily, he's brilliant at loads of other things. But, but you know, it's, it's. Some people have that visual acuity. Yeah. Which, which obviously you have to have.
1: And and I feel the same. I do. I, I, it's the same thing when I'm speaking with my mentees. I have a mentoring group, and when I chat with them, one of the things is it, I say is it feels right. There's a Mm -hmm. feeling you get when you frame something up. And when you've been filming, say, a sequence and you're, you know, you're on the long end of the lens and you're, you're pulling out wide and you're finding, and then suddenly you just, it feels different. You've just suddenly Mm -hmm. framed a beautiful shot and you know it. And it's not because you look at it and you go, oh, this is a beautiful shot. It's just that feeling. You just go, this is it. And you stay on it and you follow it. And it's great. And I mean, I, I always say that, you know, when I go back and look at my rushes, I probably find, and this is. This is, I shouldn't say this probably, but when I go back through them, I probably find that like 10 to 20% are beautiful shots like that. And then the rest is usable stuff, but it just doesn't have that incredible beauty as some of those, you know, detailed shots that just really, really work. Yours, I'm, I'm hoping are you much have higher.
0: The, no, not at all. <laughs> because you've got to keep in mind the sequence and sometimes you right. have to sacrifice um, perfection for for the, for the behavior, because ultimately we're there to tell a story. And yes, I believe that, you know, that when you frame something and it's exquisite and it moves you and it's it's very beautiful, um, um, then that's a great thing. But also sometimes you have to let go of that and concentrate, because if you don't have the shot in big close-up of, you know, whatever it might be, the animal looking that way, which may not be perfect, but you might only have one chance to get it. If you don't get that, you've got no story. Yeah. So it's, it's about sort of like... I, I would say I get one shot, one shot a shoot that makes me really like go boom. And if I get the one, then I'm happy. And then I'll get hopefully lots and lots that are usable and useful for the story and will drive the story. But I yeah. if I come away without getting one that makes my heart sing, I'll be disappointed.
1: Sure. Oh well that's interesting. Yeah. I think I think then I'm on the right track.
0: <laughs> so, way ahead of me. <laughs>
1: But now if if you are, it's great bringing up the whole sequencing and storytelling, because, of course, that is what it's all about. And, you know, I think we've all seen beautifully shot films that have zero story and are just unwatchable. And then we've seen stuff that has fantastic story with very mediocre camera work, you know, whether it's Hollywood films or whatever, but it's watchable because you're following the story. Mm -hmm. And, and getting that sweet spot of getting a great story and great camera work is just, you know, that, that's what we we're all aiming for, right? So if you were to explain to people new to this industry, wanting to be a camera person, in terms of, you know, learning the camera, learning the, the, you know, their gear and how to frame and composition and all of that kind of stuff, compared to learning sequencing and storing, what would you say is more important? Where should they spend most of their time?
0: that's a great question um i would imagine that if i was going to give advice and the advice i always try and um i think is most useful is that give yourself a very short amount of time to tell a story so say for instance someone's listening and they're they're wanting to put together a show reel, and they, they they want to make that show real, tell a story make it short because nobody has any time but but think about what shot sizes will make you engage? And and so when you're filming and when you're filming, it's really, really important to engage with your subject. And and to make it, it's really, it's really difficult to explain, but you want to you want to engage people by there's a saying, can I swear?
1: No, Absolutely. <laughs>
0: mid shot is a shit shot, right? Um, It's like we don't want to give mid shots. Uh, The only reason a mid shot shot is acceptable, and when I say a mid shot, I mean I'm in a mid shot in this frame now. I am neither big nor small. Um, And this would only be an interesting shot if something was happening within it. if if there was amazing behavior being told. So um, if I was an up-and-coming camera person, I would be concentrating on both story and also varying my shot size. Make sure that you go very wide and tell people where you are. Make sure you're going super tight so who you're looking at. And and, um, there are so many tricks, but I think that use your voice see what you see and make it individual you don't have to copy other people's work I think you know you can tell as interesting a story about a pigeon I can see a pigeon great in London very few of them but I've got (laughs) the fastest pigeon in the world that comes to my roof and I could tell a really fabulous little story about this pigeon just because he's so comical and plump and he he's totally and utterly worked out how to get into my bird feeder and so it's the but he's the only one in the whole neighborhood who comes You know, if I had that big close up of him pecking in the things of him sitting on my fence and then him flying in and out, I could tell a great little story if I chose the right light. Um, I just don't try and copy other people. Do your own thing. Use your own voice. Um, I'm going all over the place because it's quite difficult to pinpoint it.
1: It is. And and it was a big question. I mean, I mean, it is one of those things that it's it's interesting you say that about the pigeon, because I remember being at Jackson uh, whole wildlife film festival back in 2017. And there was a film, I don't remember the name of it, but it was about pigeons in Paris and nice. it was a film. And oh, it was I beautiful. That, that. Do, do you? Yeah. And it was beautifully <laughs> shot. Great film about pigeons. And yeah. so many people ask me, they say, well, you know, what am I, I, there's no way I can compete in this industry because I, you know, I'm not, in the Serengeti or I'm not, exactly. you know, I live in a town where we don't have any wildlife. And I say, look, there's wildlife everywhere. You know, there you, is. you just have to, I mean, it, whether it's about, you know, a colony of ants in the sidewalk, there's a story waiting to be told and it's how you do it. And exactly. um, how, And it's yeah. how
0: you use your creativity. There's a wonderful young camera person coming up, Yuzuru. And he came having spent, we, we talked for a couple of years um, about his work and he would send stuff and he listened and he, you know, it started off mid-shots and by the end of it was beautiful. But he did all of his work pretty much standing in a pond in the Regents Park, which is in the center of London, filming some stunning greaves. And he did it, you know, it was it was his creativity and his way of looking at the story from a slightly from his perspective. Yeah. But it was a story. It had, you know, and the story is what grabs us, as you said so rightly. If if it's got no those Story. It's just a bunch of images and it's a chocolate box. What's fun about that?
1: Yeah. And, and in this day and age, we can all pretty much now afford a camera that can take an incredible image. You know, we're not limited anymore by the gear. We're limited by our creativity and the story that we can tell. So um, yeah. that's fantastic. So go, I want to go back a little bit to so you, you were you were in Tanzania. You're now working in the industry. You're filming and doing everything else. What was the big stepping stone from that point on there that really cemented you as a, a camera woman?
0: Well, I was very very lucky to have the the back the backing of Hugo van Lawick actually who 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 really was an ally to so many of us and he championed us and he gave us opportunities. So, um a film would come up and I got my first ever film having only really assisted and I mean i had been working for three years don't get me wrong for no money at all like you do when you're happy to learn something yep, you know yep, yep. um but he he had been watching my rushes and for whatever reason he felt I was able to take on a film myself so I think that was my massive step I was very lucky to be working with Patrick Morris a very experienced producer and um and with another cameraman um, uh, but so Gus Christie but we we made a film about lions and it was shot on film which was way back when and um it took a year and a half to make and we i got nominated for cinematography it was at it was the first film i'd ever ever done i was up against wow. owen newman who was the who is the god you know he was just he's such an amazing camera person and that got my name on them you know you know that was my leap up to then people sort of getting in touch and saying oh actually i think she's She's not actually doing this because unfortunately when I started, if you got maybe um, as a woman, if you got into this, there was often a thing There was maybe there was an undercurrent that you got this gig because you were a woman. And what was lovely to be nominated was it wasn't because I was a woman. It was because the work we provided was beautiful and it was fantastic. And I remain incredibly proud of our film to this day. Um, So that was my, I would say my big leap, Um,
1: well, that, and that's fantastic. But let's make it clear here. That was your first film that you filmed and it, you you won an award, but you had been well, working. No, no, no. I oh, got nominated. You got nominated. Sorry, win. you got nominated. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would have given you the award, but there we go. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but let's be clear here. You were working for years and years of this before years. that, right? Years, years. and years. But so... Years
0: and years of just watching and learning and earning very little money. But I didn't care because what I wanted to do was be out in the field and I was incredibly privileged because I was able to live in Serengeti on and off for seven years, um, which was, you know, that doesn't happen anymore. It just doesn't. Um, sure, yeah. So I lived at a time where that was practical. I mean, it happens very rarely. There are some people who come up and you see yeah. them. But as I say, when I was doing it, there was the National there was the national Film and Television School, which Justine Evans um, went through, but really that was it. There was very little else. Whereas now there is just a plethora of incredible, um, schools and teaching that, that goes on. You can learn online from people like yourself. You know, that's an amazing yeah. resource. Um, yeah. or, or many other camera people who are, you know, there's a lot a lot of places you can go and learn from. Excuse me, the local jazz bar has just started up. I don't know if you can hear it.
1: <laughs> I can hear it in the background. I thought you had maybe a party going on and you were about no, to return that's to it. London. <laughs> Now, of course, you are, you're now a huge inspiration to other women looking to do this. You are, you're a massive inspiration to everyone, let alone just women.
0: Um, But,
1: but you are, because there's, I mean, I know lots of women who are looking to get in as producers, directors, camera women, there's, there's so many opportunities in this industry, especially now, because the industry is really growing as a whole. What advice? Well, well, first of all, before we go into the advice, what I really want to know is for you as a woman moving up in this industry, how hard was it for you in in a male dominated industry throughout the last, you know, however many decades, did you find it held you back in any way, shape or form to be a woman? Or did you find that because of your skill set, it didn't really matter?
0: I, as I said, I think I, uh, working with Hugo, um, I, I hit a very lucky thing because I think Hugo gave me an opportunity and there was never any other agenda other than he saw talent and yeah. passion. Um, I think that a lot of other people I I know have had different journeys and it hasn't been that way. So I'm also huge, by the way, I'm six foot. Uh, no, not huge, tall, sorry. I'm very tall. <laughs> um, and so therefore, I think that I can, I can hold my ground when I'm meeting people. It's not like I'm little. I'm, I'm, right. I'm, 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 I'm able to, to look a lot of men in the eye, if not at the top of their heads. Sure. Um, yep. So I think that um, maybe I'm a bit scary, who knows? I'm not <laughs> quite, I'm quite outspoken as well. And I think that, um, uh, so I've been really fortunate, but also I'd just like to say, I don't know how many jobs I haven't got because I was right. a woman, but I'm sure there were plenty. Yeah. Um, and and um, it's really good that the industry now is changing and actively addressing the imbalance in craft. And um, you very kindly said that I was an inspiration. I would love it if other people got into, it, if, you know, whoever they might be, um, get into this industry because they see someone who doesn't look like possibly the norm, who looks like sure. someone other than than what we've been presented with for however many years. And, and, and actually, wouldn't it be great to, as you know, I'm very, very keen now um, to, to um, use my position and my privilege to, to help the diversity because we are, you know, there are people of, you know, black people, brown people, there are very few people who don't look like us yep. who are in this industry. So now it's next steps. We've got women are coming in. That's fantastic. That's brilliant. Now we need to shift on. And let's get people in the countries we're going to and filming with actually behind the cameras. That's the next mission.
1: That's fantastic. And I think, again, it's a it's a beautiful time for it because natural history TV is growing. Um, you know, I think it slumped there for a while when we were kind of testing out the reality TV and all of those different genres. But, um, you know, blue chip shows are back up. And, um, you know, there's just so much natural history TV being made and so many platforms for it now. And, of course, yeah. you have worked on most of the landmark series across these, I think, I mean, you've worked for Discovery, National Geographic, BBC, you've worked pretty much for everyone, I believe. Am I wrong? Um,
0: I've worked with, I've been, yeah, no, I've worked for Disney, Discovery, Netflix, BBC. It's a dream. It, It really is a dream as a kid. You know, when I was starting out, I couldn't imagine how I'd ever work for anybody because I worked for a Dutch company and we worked for Discovery I was ever, that's all I ever worked for. As I said, it took me 25 years to get my first gig almost for the BBC. <laughs> right, I mean, it's yeah. you
1: know, yeah.
0: um, because it's not an easy business to get into, but talent right. will out, hope- hopefully. And again, I think that now with the young filmmakers, getting your stuff seen is so much easier because yeah. all they need to do is contact any one of us and send us a short show reel and we'll watch it. And if we think they're any good or worth mentoring, we'll help, you know. Yeah. I'm a great believer that the more talent we have in the industry, the stronger we shall be. And therefore yes. the more people are going to watch us, the more relevant, the more people we bring in, the more relevant we'll become. So, you know, welcome all to all talent, because that's how we're going to regain our strength and actually get people to listen to our messaging, which is For why sure. we are all in it, isn't
1: it. We, which is a, absolutely a great segue to impact. So from, from your mm. standpoint, what is wildlife film to you? What What do you hope to achieve with wildlife uh, natural history films?
0: Well, it's changed. I think as a kid, I went into it because I just loved the lifestyle and the filming and it was wonderful. But um, as the years have gone by, of course, I've become more and more um, entangled in it. and And I feel like that. That now, actually, the only reason I can possibly do it is that if we can address the climate crisis in however, what whatever way that takes, I will not be involved in chocolate box filmmaking anymore. I'm I'm not going to just go and put out stuff that's pretty to look at. There has to be a reason why we make our films. It doesn't mean they have to all be dreich and dour and hard, but it does mean that they have to. We have to. If we're going out there, every trip I do now, and I think all of us do now, we see it. It's there. It's not, it's not, it's not miles away. It's there. And I, I recently I was filming a creature that, it, there are only 400 of them left in the world, right? Wow. 400. Yeah. So I might be one of the few people who will ever get an opportunity to film this animal before it goes extinct. The responsibility that you do this right and proper and make people give a damn is so huge. So I think it, this isn't a job to be taken. Um, it's not to kind of like, wait, you know, there's that 10 minutes of absolute, sorry, tosh at the end of those films, where everybody's sort of like, it's all about glamorizing what we do. That's, that's, not, that's not relevant anymore. Yeah. It's, about, it's about telling the truth, but telling the truth in a way that makes people engage. So it means everything to me, actually Jake, everything.
1: Well, and I think that the industry has changed so much in the last few years. I mean, con- right. con- the word conservation used to be a dirty word, right? Network oh, you TV. couldn't sell anything,
0: right? Hey? No.
1: Yeah. Uh, and now, of course... We have so many different platforms and some platforms are certainly way more into having programs of impact. Uh, some are still very much entertainment based and, and are kind of hesitant. But, but we're in a place where we now have the opportunity to make those films and have a platform for them and pitch them. I mean, I remember years ago pitching stuff for conservation and it just, you know, being thrown out the door. Um, now, of course, it's really about, okay, what's the story? You know, what is the story here? Can, can it inspire people?
0: Well, you see the octopus teacher, you know, it wins an Oscar because it inspired people. It had a really beautiful story. It wasn't particularly, you know, it was a really simple and beautiful story, really well told. And it got to people's hearts, you know, it really did. And it's just like, I love it because for years I've been going, I'm not eating an octopus because they're too bloody clever. I won't, I shouldn't. Sure. Right. <laughs> You know, anyone who can predict the World Cup, no, not even. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and and now there's just like a load of people going, oh, actually, oh, Squid Octopus can do it. I'm like, yes, yeah. yeah, come on. And it, that wasn't an overt message. Right. It was just by making people care.
1: Yes. Brilliant. And I had, I had this conversation the other day with someone about would you, who, who used to eat those mini octopuses, you know, that would come on top of the soup. And, and um, I had the exact same. Op- uh, they watched the show and I said, you know, would you eat an octopus now after seeing this? And they're like, well, you know, probably not. And as you say, that was not the message. It wasn't about not eating shark fins or octopus or, you know, it was just the connection that that person had that yeah. suddenly made you think twice.
0: Brilliant! Yeah, it's great, and 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 I love the fact that shows are now. It's becoming an absolute. It has. It has to be on the table. We can't ignore it. I love that.
1: Yes. Yeah. That's fantastic. Now, um, a big question that I get quite a lot is that when you're in the industry, I mean, most. Uh, camera people are freelancers, right? I don't, I'm not sure there are many people in the industry who are at full time for a network. Mm-hmm. How easy is it to continue getting work, or what stage is it along your career path where you don't have to worry anymore because the work just keeps coming in?
0: Ah, doesn't ever work like that. I mean, there's, <laughs> a, there's there you know there will be times where what you do is is popular, and there will be times when it will be less popular. And and to do this job, you have to have a backbone, and you have to have resourcefulness and resilience and get out there and pick yourself up when you haven't worked um i had a child when my career was just about to take off and um brilliant lovely um you know how and ever try and work um with a small baby it doesn't happen you've got kids it's really tough as a man i don't know most of my friends who are cameramen say you know that leaving was Leaving their kids was one of the worst things they ever had to do because we miss out on huge chunks of our children's lives. However, it's a choice that we all make. It's just that I think women talk about it most probably more than men. But um, I think that with my son, there was, um, um, you know, there were there were years where I didn't work.
1: Years. Right, yeah. And
0: so much so that when I finished, I, I stopped work. I was filming on film. And when I came back, I was filming on, on um, um Beta, beta so, tech. Yeah. And I had no idea. I was used to like 10 minutes of, yeah. of, of a can. And I went to 45 minutes and pre-roll. I'm like, well, this is fantastic.
1: Let's <laughs> take another decade off.
0: I'm <laughs> <laughs> yeah. planning on to later. But I love it. The advances in tech are absolutely yeah. fantastic at the minute. Um, but yeah, so it's, as a freelancer, it's tough. Reality is, it's tough. And it never, you know, yes, there will be a few people who never stop working got to find a balance though because you've got to have a life i've got a partner i've got a kid i've got friends you know and and i don't want to be away
1: they're not all (laughs) in the antarctic are they
0: (laughs) they there's a few of them there now okay absolutely
1: No, you know, I've spoken about this before, I think with Nate Dappen, I was chatting about this and he, he was he's the um, happy father of uh, two new twins and his, uh, I think, two or three year old daughter now as well. And just the challenge and finding that that work life balance, because it is something that actually I took very, very seriously. I didn't want to miss out. And so I stopped doing far off travel. And I started to build a career around local nonprofits and, and doing things like this, you know, doing kind of finding other ways to outsource and create other business ideas. And really, that's what's great about being a freelancer is you have those opportunities. You're not kind of stuck. Yeah. But I did that because I wanted to make the choice of not being away from my kids. So I know a lot of people I've spoken to, Doug Allen, I think one of them being away so, so much. As you say it takes a toll. One way or another, you, you have to make choice. It's a very difficult thing to do.
0: And um, it doesn't, there's not a right or a wrong, by the way, Jake, either. But it right. is something to consider that this is not whether you're a man, a woman, or another, whoever, you know, another, you, 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 it's, 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 um, you know, it's something you have to think about.
1: It is. And yeah. as you say, there's no right or wrong. It's what makes yeah. you happy. And I think that's probably the key over all of it is. What do you want from life, right? What, what do you want? Where do you want to be? Do you want to make impactful films and just focus on that and not have a family and go and do that 100% of your time? Or do you want to try and do a bit of both and dabble here and there? And, and you know, I always look at, I think I'm still, I'm, I just turned 50 this year. I'm dabbling. I'm dabbling at life all the time, right? <laughs> That's all I ever really do. I can't yeah. call this a career. I call it dabbling.
0: Well, I don't think you have a career. I think you have a life. I yep. do, I don't yep. believe that, you know, this is it, people. I think this last year has shone a light on that very heavily. And yep. we've all, you know, I don't know about, you know, last last year, nine months, no work because of COVID, obviously. And many people have had it much, much worse. So I've got nothing to moan about. Sure. But but um you I would say that you have to have um a resourcefulness and a self, what do you call that thing where it's it's all, you know, you have to generate your own.
1: Your, you moment, your yeah, motivation, or, motivation
0: yes yeah. exactly I think yeah. you have to you have to be very self-motivated well done yes
1: James. yeah thank you thank you okay <laughs> <laughs> so what what is the typical obviously last year was definitely not typical what mm-hmm. would and, and there may not be a typical but what would if there is a typical a typical year be in the life of Sophie Darlington how, how many months would you say on average that you are away a year
0: I'd like to work, I'd love to work for six months a year, yeah. um, six to eight months, and then have, you know, six to four months at home. But also when I'm at home, I got asked today, how was my holidays? It's like, are you mad? You know, as a freelancer, you never have holidays because you're no. always like, you know, you're putting momentum into the next project, you're researching, you're talking about future projects, you're, um, you know, you're feeding back, you're, you, you never stop. Yeah. So um, yeah, holidays are something you go on which yeah. you know, I
1: haven't been on in a while, in a while. I don't know about you. I don't think anybody no, has. Not for a very <laughs> probably about a decade. Um, it, yeah, oh. it's one of those things as a freelancer, it, it sets you back. I mean, when you stop at whatever, you know, however much if you stop for two weeks, you're literally two weeks behind, aren't you? Because, because you've got to keep stuff, you know, ticking over
0: absolutely it's constant discussions and and it's fantastic and also you right now especially you have to hold on to things quite lightly so you might be told about something in a year in advance you'll have fantastic discussions with the production people with the producers usually it started off with the um, producer directors they'll contact you would you like to do the sequence Um, they'll go into the sequence a bit you'll look at your diary yes it works it's great then you start into the logistics you think about what kit what you can bring to the shoot how you can tell the story maybe in a different way that they haven't thought about um, and, and then you'll do like, you know, so it'll be, you know, loads of different phone calls. And then a month before you go, they'll ring you up and go, look, the behavior didn't happen this year. So we're canning the shoot. And that's it. Yeah. Goodbye. Oh, See you later. So it's, so you hold, hold things quite lightly, yeah. but put all your passion into them.
1: And, and hopefully have multiple things working yes. at the same time so when those things do drop by the wayside you can just start focusing on the next one and
0: yeah uh, but not taking not saying yes to multiple things that's bad i don't like sure.
1: that. right i don't yeah. like
0: that i you know if i say yes to someone i say yes to someone and if a better gig comes along then i say no because actually yeah. i've said yes you've got to be honorable and oh absolutely well.
1: integrity and in this industry is everything 100 percent. yeah
0: i think so it's your reputation hey
1: yeah for sure Mm-hmm. So, how important um, is networking for you, Sophie? In, in terms of the film festivals and going out and networking, you're you're at the top of your game, right? You are you're filming these landmark series that you know we all see across all platforms. A lot of people would think at this point, Sophie's just sitting. I mean, you've told us you're not, but you're sitting at home with your legs crossed, you know, and having a glass of wine, waiting for the next gig that you're you know you're out on. How important is it? Do you still network as hard as you did, say? 20 years ago
0: see I've never been very good at networking which is part okay. of my problem but <laughs> I, I, what I have got and I think what this industry is wonderful at is there's it's such a small industry Jack, as you know it's yeah. so small that I have a lot of friends and so when you go to something like Jackson Wild or Wild Screen or whatever it might be I was at a wonderful event a couple of years back called Women in um, Women in Nature I think it was a wildlife film festival in Copenhagen yeah. And there were just a rake of all these wonderful people that I knew from other work, you know. And, and, so I don't know. I think it's quite good to remind people that you're still alive, um, right. and that you're still <laughs> working, and that and and people out of sight is out of mind. So it's sort of like keeping that yeah. balance. Um, I'm, I need to learn about networking. So if you suss it out, let me know. I'm yeah, not yeah fair enough. <laughs> I, I am <laughs>
1: terrible at it as well. And and what I've learned for me is that I just show up. And I've, I've taken all the other pressure off because it used to be, you know, right? I mean, like when you're new at anything, right, you turn up and you've got your business cards and you've got and, and you're desperately you're feverishly out there with a list of people you're trying to meet. And then after a while you go, yeah, this isn't how to do it. This is not no, it how isn't. it works. And most no, of the great conversations or even the the. The meetings that turn into work are when you bump into someone and spill coffee over them, and then end up drinking the coffee with I would them. And-
0: the coffee spilling technique. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, I just <laughs> throw it at people now. Everybody's going
0: around now, slinging buckets of coffee on everyone. Right, but I do think in the you know it's at breakfast at those festivals when you yeah. have a chat, and and Miles Green and 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 um, Jackson Ward do it brilliantly at them they had networking breakfast at jackson wild a couple of years back and it was so fabulous because you sat with a bunch of, of incredibly um interesting people and you all yes. shared and swapped stories and and that's one of the things that this year has given me which i blooming adore is um, mentoring so i've been remote mentoring in kenya and in a little bit in tanzania and elsewhere and and also on-site member mentoring and I had I was always scared of mentoring because I was like, how do you mentor? What do you do? And sure. as it turns out, you have contributions. And that's mentoring. I'm like, oh, my God, I love it. Yes. Um, yeah. And so that's, this last year has been an absolute revelation for me in terms of, of working with incredibly interesting and talented people because it's a two-way street. Yes. And I'm getting as much out of it as they are, you know?
1: Yeah. Well, and I started a group up last year. It's coming up to being a year young now. Um, And I was the same. You know, it was very intimidating starting, but I knew there was a big need because I had lots of people. How did
0: you start it? Did you start it through this?
1: No, I started it. Well, this is is part of it, if you like. But no, I just started it online advertising on social media as a mentoring group online. And uh, weekly q and So we literally, you know, we meet on a Facebook group uh, every Tuesday morning and I Great. answer questions. And nice. what's fantastic is we've got people from multiple countries around the world and Great. they're all part of the group. So they're all helping each other, answering each other's questions as well as, you know, me answering live questions every Tuesday. Yeah. And it's phenomenal because they're—it's like a tribe. They're your people, you know. They're, we're all—we all have the same things in common. We're all after the same goals, and mm-hmm. um, and we're all helping each other. I mean, I'm learning as much as they are, which is fantastic. Of course,
0: of course we are, and if you're close yeah. to that, while well, you're you're in Egypt, yes, you, know?
1: yeah.
0: you need Absolutely. to. It, it's got to be. Um, we've we've got that's how we're going to move forward in this
1: industry and grow. Yes, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, okay, moving on to gear. Do you film on, do you have a set package that you take everywhere with you or are you taking networks packages that you're, how how does that work?
0: I wish I'd bought my own package. That would have been so clever. Actually, no, Dougie Allen, years ago, um, I was was at that wild screen many moons ago when I got nominated and I went up to Dougie, who was sort of like, Dougie, you know, he was one of the few people I knew and I just, he was so approachable and I said, look, what shall I do? Um, Shall I buy a kit? And he said, well have you been getting work so without a kit and I went yes and he said Nah, don't he said save your money and thank goodness because then all the Aries just got used as expensive doorstops yes um but kit was much more expensive then than that it is now yeah. I have a preferred kit that I use um so um you know a camera be it an ARRI or a RED usually or a Phantom yeah um and then, um, but I do night filming too. I've done, I, you know, I, I, I'm i trying to do as much as I can. I'm learning at the minute. Um, uh, cinef- Not Cinefax, GSS, Shot Over.
1: Shot Over, uh, yeah, yeah. I was I'm going to ask learning. about that.
0: By yeah. the way, can I just say, there's a myth that you have to be a gamer and have done right. this eight.
1: Yeah. Turns
0: out I'm 54 and you just need to be able to frame and have a little bit of dexterity. Yes, I'm no way... I'm no Tom Walker or Jamie McPherson, but I can do it.
1: Sure. Yeah. And you'll just get better uh, with time. I mean, it's, as you say, it's, it's just a learned
0: practice makes perfect, but yes, yeah. I do. I have a CN20. Um, I have a Ronford Baker um, Atlas 40. Um, I have Sackler DA150s and um, a red or French flag. And off I go and I'm happy as a bee.
1: You're good to go. Fantastic. And with, uh, are you, Filming, I get asked this a lot as well. But in my experience, filming with people like the BBC, they're still yeah. you know taking 4K. That I've heard a lot that that's 8K across the board. Now everyone's after 8K. It's 8K, but on most of the discussions I have, 8K is extremely large to be storing, and so much of the time they do not want 8K archival footage. So, what is it? Where are you most of the time? What what kind of codec and, and-
0: uh, resolution i would be it depends i go on whatever the production asks for sure but because the cn20 can't do beyond 7.5 i'm rarely above that but you know seven if i'm on a red if i'm on an ari i'm happy because the pixels are large and it doesn't matter let's let's not forget that the the pixels are all you know you could go down a whole pixel spiral oh, yes.
1: yeah.
0: and it's all about it's about size. Not quantity. <laughs> yeah, there you go. About the information that fits in that pixel. So, if you've got a camera that has very, very large pixels, you're going to get much more information into that, much more, you know, subtlety in colour, um, and and what that's going on. So the, the um, I'm no tech geek. I just know that looks great. That looks great. Sure.
1: Yeah.
0: And, um, <laughs> networks set what they want, and you don't have yeah. any choice. You don't exactly. But they'll accept yeah. a certain percentage of 2K. Or yep. even HD if you're sure. You know, if you're if you're um if you've got a piece of if you've got a lion back flipping and smacking a flamingo around the head, you could shoot it, you know, quite happily on a phone at yes. a, you know at, at HD and they'll take it.
1: Yes. Yeah, it's all about behavior, right? I'm still selling. You know, it's high def. It's handy cam stuff. That I filmed of bear, black bears roaming around neighborhoods, and I still sell that stock footage mm-hmm. on a regular basis because yeah. of the behavior in it. And yeah. no one cares. No one ever asks what it was shot on. They just yeah. look at it and go, "We want that." You know, when can you get it to us? Brilliant. Um, Brilliant. Yeah, which is fantastic. so. I think that's
0: right. I mean, and and if you're working for a network, they'll tell you what they want, and you have no choice. So.
1: Yes. Yeah. Fantastic. So you're on the CN20. I don't know whether you saw we had Ivo noremberg on the podcast oh, um, talking about the CN20 and his role in, in getting it into fruition. And um, so that's your main kit. Would you say you're filming on that most of the time?
0: Oh, I would you... say, I mean, long lens is my deal. Yeah. Um, but my, as um, as I said, I'm, you know, even in the uh, shot over the GSS, I'm using it in, in, in the gimbal, yes. um, the CN20, because it's the one that... For me, it has the perspective of of this 50 to 1,000 or 1,500 at the top end of it. it. What it does is it brings you into a different world. And um, unlike a prime, which obviously is, you know, when you watch, um, you know, movie movies and, and the primes are all about a different way because you can be so proximate. What I love about a CN is it enables me to be far away for the animal to do what it does without me impacting it in any way whatsoever. And so I'm able to get that behavior where it's behaving entirely naturally. And also, I just love the way a long lens makes things look. And if I'm doing an interview, I will often do it on the CN and will make the person spin miles away. Yes,
1: yeah. I do that often with, you know, just using a 200 mil, Canon 200 mil lens and just, you know, crush that background. It looks looks beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. It
0: looks amazing.
1: Yes, for sure. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. So, uh, one of my questions was are you diversifying in terms of your uh, experience with all of this new technology, you know, drones Absolutely. and shotovers? because I know that they're being used so heavily now within all these productions. So, um, so yeah, tell us a bit more about the shot over and just the roles that you're looking for it to kind of fill. Cause I know most of the stuff we see you doing is long lens stuff. I mean, most of the-
0: oh, you work. I mean, I only did one job on shot over. Um, okay. um, I'm literally just beginning. I've done my training and my, you know, and and I love that old dogs, new tricks. We can do it. Yep. And I'm curious. I want to know about it. Um, and but also it's it's becoming, as you say, you know, the the, the use of tech drones, um, you know, whatever it might be, people are expected to have much more of a breadth in their technology technology than we would have in the in the past, because obviously we were limited by speed of film stock, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas now we've got, you know, we've got mad ISOs, we've got, we can, you know, we can shoot them a moonlit night. Um, we can shoot with a Ronin, with a with a with a gimbal on a car, and it's all the the thing that I absolutely um, I think is really important is that we use all this tech to tell a story, as opposed to using the tech so we can show off what for we can the do. Sake of it. It. Sure. And there's a real danger of that. Do you remember that time when the Phantom first came out, and everything was like it had, so had two
1: thousand fret. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You
0: remember, everything yeah. was just like.
1: Oh 2000 frames a second yeah
0: <laughs> just I, everything was just like oh my god it's so boring yeah um and then last year everything was drone, everything yeah. was wrong and then you know and the gimbal everything is Ronan, and it's like sometimes i don't want to spin around an animal just for the sake of it yes why am i spinning around it yeah use your tech to tell a story and 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 then it becomes truly exciting and magical
1: I I think there is this danger that what what we're doing is we're replacing behavior with technology, right? Instead of waiting to get those incredible behavioral shots that tell the story, instead we'll just just go in slow motion around an animal, make it look cinematic, great, there's, you know, 25 seconds taken up, let's move on. (laughs) And, yeah, yeah, you're in danger of losing the story if not careful. I think we've seen that with, as you say, slow motion, time lapse was a big one when the starry night... You remember that Starry Nights were in like every other shot <laughs> transition. Starry Night,
0: like anything, there's a fashion, you know. There's yeah. a, an absolute fashion, and 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 you know, and who knows where is it where is it going? I think it's exciting. I think tech is wonderful. I uh, personally, I'm not a fan of being aware of tech when I'm watching. It takes right. me out of that world. When I'm watching something, I want to be immersed in it. I want that yeah. story. I want to feel like I'm not there. And the minute I feel a bit of at- tech that's sort of like, oh, my God, I'm going along with, you know, with a something along, you know, yeah. I've, got a, I've got a dune buggy and it's going with this animal. And it's like, it's a gadget. Stop it. Yeah. But if it's going along at a certain and there's a reason why it's going along, then great. great.
1: But as you say, if the story has has got you captivated so that you're not thinking about it, it's when you lose that thread. And now yeah. you're just worrying about the images. And of course, <laughs> being camera people, we have a tendency to do that anyway and dissect things, you know, it can be hard sometimes. Right. Just watching something for the sake of watching it. Right. Mm -hmm. But I mean, something like my octopus teacher was great for that because it did, it was a different story and it did For me, it certainly made me come out of, you know, keep thinking about the shots and things like that. And just think about what, you know, this and very relatable stories as well. A human story, you know, a wildlife story. Um, It's
0: well worth watching Roger Horrocks, um, the camera, uh, the cinematographer, um, talking about it on Red. I think there's a great interview on Red with him. And he talks so beautifully about his choice of lens and how... He wanted it to blend with, you know, the 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 main man. And you know how there was such thought. And I don't think you get a chance, you know, often to hear about people speaking emotionally by their choosing. I, I know why I choose the CN20 and why I go at certain focal lengths because it emotionally it we talked about it earlier. It's right. It's just yes.
1: right. Yeah.
0: You know? But listen to that one. Um, it's a fantastic. Um, or um, yeah, there's there's some fabulous um resources out there There really for are yeah. learning about why people are choosing the lenses they're using and the light that oh. they're using and the um you know the, I'll, the, the
1: tech i'll look it's that all- up yeah no and it's, it's great I, I love just talking about that because i think it does you know one of the things that i find is that it brings us back to basics i think as well because when you go back and watch some older stuff you can really see just how how simple shots Work Mm -hmm. so effectively when they're telling the story that, Mm -hmm. as you say, you know, you can over, I mean, I think we are at this hump where we're starting to get over the tech a little bit. Drones have been in now and now they're, you know, Mm -hmm. pretty much everyone can afford a drone now of some description. Um, And we're getting of
0: the aerial, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, they, all of these things have a great reason to tell, to be used to tell a story. Mm But as you say, I mean, like you can establish with a drone and then get down and tell the story rather than Mm. drone, you know, then another shot, then a time lapse and now a drone, another time lapse, another drone shot, you know, and then going back and forward between the the two. But um, story is...
0: great. Sorry to interrupt, but there's a great film I saw about um, it's about sheep in the Lake District and it's entirely shot on drone, apart from a few shots on a sheep and on a shepherd. And actually it's it's slow tv so it's very very sure. clever because yeah. so it, it, again it's about stories so they've used drones yeah. but in a way that you just go into the world of drone and you get used to it and it becomes as opposed to becoming a, a trick yes it's it's actually a story tool so oh. um, we'll try and remember the name of the the great mountain sheep gather possibly fabulous oh, making, little film if gro- you have a okay. name Fantan- yeah it. really good
1: Well, again, you know, if it's captivating, it works. And I think that goes back to what you were saying earlier about do your own thing. You know, if Mm. you can find a way to to creatively tell a story that's different and it can be hard because I think, you know, another question I get an awful lot is, you know, what can I do that hasn't already been done? And it's a great question because so, you know, so much of the wildlife in the world has been filmed. The great spectacles many times. (laughs) Go ahead. Go ahead.
0: Sorry, I'm just going. Do they ever think when they're asking you that if you knew that you'd do it
1: yourself? <laughs> right. It's exactly. just
0: like, well, let me just give you a few ideas and off I run. <laughs>
1: That's that,
0: right. Productions who ring you up and go, so uh, what's the film you'd really like to tell? It's like, well, just don't know.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: <laughs> I'm exactly. just giving you your film. <laughs>
1: think uh, of your own film. Yes, exactly.
0: And if I can think of that, I'll make it myself. Thanks, right. ever so much.
1: Well, oh, I no, think that that's why I mean, but that's a great way to get into how today we're in such a great place. Earlier, you mentioned how easy it is now for filmmakers to get their stuff seen. And I think, you know, the fact that Patrick Dykstra, who I had on the, um, the podcast a while back, he worked on um, Blue Planet, did some of the whale shots on there. His footage of. Uh, I think it was Humpback Whale Behavior, was seen on Vimeo by BBC researchers. And yeah. then they reached out to him. And cool. then now he travels the world as a camera person Brilliant. filming Love whale it. research, right? Lovely. And yeah, and so, so much of the time when I'm speaking with researchers, I ask them, I ask them, you know, where are you getting your stories? And they're like, we literally are searching YouTube, Vimeo, and we're finding what people are doing. And I'm like, that, that's the first time in history that that was possible right in that way where they yeah. just have this ability to reach out to average joe you know uh, on the street with a camera because they may have filmed something not seen before and yeah. then it starts a whole new thing so and, and I, all
0: it takes is one person to send it to one person who thinks it's good and then you're in you're yes. in the door yeah, you know absolutely. because and, and but but what I think the one of the things that we and I'm sure you get it too but a lot of things get sent to us which are 15 20 minutes long and it's they haven't thought about that thing about every single frame has to be there for a reason don't yeah. put stuff in you know sure. um, you're if they're, if they're doing show reels if they put in a you know they went on holiday and they dove you know they did some diving and it's beautiful yeah. but it's it's not good enough don't put it yeah. in i yeah. don't care yeah. nor do you you know we care about the story about Fat
1: pigeon. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's the, no, it's seeing the creativity behind what's going on with the image for sure. Um, I mean, it's, you say it's too easy these days just to point a camera and get a shot, but what, what's it, what's its point. Yeah. So, okay. I'm not going to ask you, what is the show that you most want to film and, and steal your <laughs> idea? i I'd will run off and <laughs> run I'm off and film right. It.
0: <laughs> I'm on it right now,
1: but, but yeah, there you go. Perfect. But what I will ask you is uh, two things. First of all, most incredible experience you've had filming. What what would you say? Is there one thing? I know you've done so much, and that's a hard question. But if you could do it again, what would what would one of those things be? I, it's
0: that, Jake, I can't. I can't possibly because what I tell you today will be different the next day, the next day, sure. and the next day. But, you know, today the first thing I'm going to tell you. Pigeons. Um, <laughs> ah, Pigeons. <laughs> Pigeons are coming. <laughs> marvelous. No, I think that. There have been moments that I have sobbed because I have been, and simple moments like um, on our planet, we were filming sandhill cranes. I was at the top of a tower. I was by myself. I'd been there. I'd gone in. I don't know. I think I've been sleeping on the floor and I crawled in before dawn and the light came up and the birds started waking up on the river and there must have been 300,000 sandhill cranes below me just like in it on this braided river and the light was just exquisite and they they lifted up and i I, it, it just sort of it was one of those moments it was the noise it was the often you're on your own you're by yourself they're very personal moments um and especially as a long lens camera person you kind of tend to not work with many people around you but just remember the feeling of all these birds and that sense of without being deathly dull but really privileged that yeah. i was sitting there and my heart literally i felt bigger than my my body because i was so my eyes were so happy my yeah. ears were happy i knew i was at the right place at the right time it was that and that sequence it's at the end of fresh water um in our planet um i bloody love it it's such a and nothing happens so there's no story yeah. there at all apart from the right. conservation story yeah. but Everything about filming that was amazing. But then, you know, that's the filming the bear. When the bear comes hoofing past you, there's the, you know, being stuck with a bunch of, you know, a quarter of a million penguins in Antarctica when you're by yourself and you look around and it's just you and one other person for hundreds of miles. You know, we have have such luxury and privilege in our lives. Um, There's an awful lot of sitting at customs. Sure. And in economy, by the way, uh, with your, I've got long legs. I said I was tall. It hurts physically. There's a lot of, you know, not washing and eating rubbish and being overtired, but you don't remember any of that. You remember the, the lift off of those cranes.
1: And that's the beautiful thing. It's those moments. There's not many jobs. I mean, I've done a lot of jobs in my, in my time, and there's not many jobs that give you that moment of sheer bliss Mm. when something like that happens you say that makes it all worth it I mean all of the yeah. hardships that make mm. those moments make it worth it That you know you're on the right path to doing what you want to be doing and and speaking of hardships the hardest thing you've ever done it hard thing thing that you remember that was probably the worst part of what you do I think just to give some perspective <laughs>
0: Well, no, the honesty is that I, I again, on our planet, when um, we went to film The Polar Bears in northern in Canada and um, we went, there was a team of us, four of us, we went up, we were fully prepared. We were fully convinced that we were going to smash this sequence. We were going to get behavior un- that, that had been filmed, but not, you know, with the resources that we had, we were going to nail this. Months and months, years of preparation by the production people and with us. And then we take, you know, a huge carbon cost, it feels bad. You go to this place in the middle of nowhere. And because of the climate crisis, the behavior didn't happen. It, there yeah. was too much rain and the polar bears sat and watched as the char swam past them, they couldn't catch them and we didn't get a sequence. So we went to the other ends of the earth and we saw just what we have been doing to this planet and we're part of it, but we but we didn't, we came home empty handed. Yeah. And that's happening more and more.
1: Yeah. Which is,
0: I, uh, I mean, bringing it home. So sure. that's heartbreaking. That's really yeah. tough.
1: Absolutely. It makes it more and, important. When it, and it also goes to show, I mean, obviously, it's heartbreaking from the planet's point of view, our point of view, and, and what the, the mm-hmm. message there. Um, what, what I like about you telling that is it just goes to show that it doesn't matter how many resources you have. Yeah it still doesn't mean that things are just going to work out just because you might have the backing of money and a network and the right gear and the right people and helicopters. And you can still come home empty handed.
0: We didn't have helicopters. We had float planes
1: though. Okay. All right. Well, (laughs) you should have had helicopters.
0: (laughs) But it was, uh, and, and, and I think that those, um, you've got to be prepared for failure and, and for not bringing home the shot and, that hurts, it really hurts yeah. when you come home with not the sequence that you all wanted. And, um, and, and it would be a lie to pretend that every shoot is a success. They're not. And the failing of is as important. Yeah. As the absolutely.
1: Anyway. How, how often this is, this is a silly question, but this is something I suffer from sometimes. I've got I, my knees fail me these days. My oh, back God. kneeling God. down on a sidewalk, filming a black bear, right. Trying to do some great behavior. And then I move and I nudge the, the tripod, right. As the behavior is happening, you know, kick the bottom of the tripod. How often are you doing silly mistakes like that? I, I want to know just personally, because I do them all the time.
0: I would like to think that um, I, I, there's always that you always make that, listen anyone who doesn't make an error is lying you right. know who says that they don't we, yeah. we all make mistakes um here's what I learned about being and, and making mistakes and up to them really quickly don't pretend right. and that's not true but I you know I think that I've dropped a camera on my head I had it on my roof I was I had it I had a mount on my roof really sorry, but this was years ago, years ago. so sure. no. no, 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 no <laughs> fine.
1: You're not going to um, get a bill from the BBC.
0: <laughs> but I had, a, I had a, a bowl on the car roof and I was driving myself and I had the camera and I hadn't tightened the bottom bolt and I went over a bump and the bloody camera came and just whacked me on the head. Oh. And I was so embarrassed. I went, I immediately stopped. I took stock of the camera. Camera's fine. My head has sure. a divot taken right. out of it. But I was concussed but the camera was okay but the absolute humiliation you know every camera person I know has a story about where they did something ridiculous as you say less more the creakiness is beginning to kick in I'm I'm gonna just live in denial
1: good there you go okay
0: keeping as as I can I'm a vegetarian have been for 30 years you know, I think I'm, I'm winning.
1: You're, okay, perfect. Okay, um, la- last silly question before before yeah. it, um, we almost finish. Um, how often do the editors hear you cussing on your footage uh, when they're in never. the edit? Oh, they don't?
0: You know why? I shoot off speed.
1: <laughs> ah, so no audio.
0: No. When you're shooting long lens, yep. even when you're shooting normal speed, you, um, you very rarely shoot on speed. I never shoot anything on speed, ever. Except if it's a big wide, and then I might.
1: Sure, okay. So are you you typically like... Okay, so you typically like 60 frames a second or something? I mean, is, is it you vary...
0: I vary, it's absolutely up to the shot size. So if I'm super, super tight, it might be 60 to take the edge off. If it's an eyeball, it might be 60. If it's a foot, it might be 40. If it's just an animal walking, it might be 30, 32. It just depends. Um, It's something I've got to know in the past through experience and shot size and the animal that you're working with. You know, if it's a little thing, if it's a big thing, what are you trying to say with a shot? So you can, you know, you can change the tone of what you're filming by your speed. Um, but what's really funny is if I now see something shot at normal speed, I, I, I find it too fast. My am like, yes. oh. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So no one's ever going to hear anyone within like half a mile sure. might hear me shrieking if I, you know, if something right. goes wrong. Well, well,
1: I'll have to take a note from your book and do more, uh, yeah, more, um, uh, off off speed um, because, yeah, I have to apologize whenever I send you know drives in and say, yeah, I'm really sorry. You're going to find there's a lot of moments in there where I'm cussing trying to stand up. But my back's giving me problems.
0: <laughs> I'll just shoot off speed and you're short sort it all out. There you Be go. Right?
1: Perfect. Fantastic. Okay. Finally, in terms of giving advice to people, uh, people who are aspiring filmmakers, I think most of the people who listen to us, are already making films, you know, they've got a camera, they're aspiring to get into the industry to really be part of this and, you know, learn from people like yourselves. What would be, say, one piece of advice just across the board? You know, if you were starting in this industry today and you were kind of confused about what the heck to do to be found, to be noticed, to really break into the industry, what what advice would you have for them?
0: I would say do your research, actually. I would say prove it because it's really easy to say I want to be a wildlife filmmaker. It's so easy. Anyone can say it. But the people who tend to be wildlife filmmakers are the ones who do it, whether they get their footage shown or not. So do it. Get out the door and make those films. doesn't matter if nobody sees them. But that makes you a wildlife filmmaker.
1: Absolutely. Not, yeah.
0: not the people saying I want to be the guy washing my hair with the gloves on saying yeah. he wants to be a wildlife filmmaker. I don't think so.
1: No, <laughs> that's right. You know, I, I, it, I agree. Everybody, I,
0: everybody says they want to be a wildlife filmmaker. I want to do a game show. Ash. It would be a great game show. So you think you want to be a wildlife filmmaker? And right. Just, in all the situations that we're in, but yeah, no, seriously, just, and, and also look at the films that you're, and what, you know, note who you like and who you don't like. And then those are the people you should be looking at to get in touch with. Know who they are. Know who are the bosses of the company who make the films and the camera people who make the films that you like. Nobody in the industry likes it more when they come up and go, oh my God, I loved it when you
1: did that. Right. (laughs) The
0: producers adore it, as they should, because we're all a part of it.
1: Yes, absolutely. No, I couldn't agree more.
0: Yeah. I could not not agree more. And, and, and just prove it. Just get out and blooming well do it. You know, do that thing. You got
1: I mean, passion is probably overused, but, you know, you've got to be passionate about it in the first instance to show that you want to do it. And, and as I say, with someone like Patrick Dykstra, who is out there filming whales because he loved being out there with whales on his own with his camera. And then now he's doing it and he's being paid to do it. He's not paying to do it anymore. He's being paid to do it. And that's the difference. But it took him years and years and years, like yourself, like myself, like so many of, of us in this industry, years of spending our own money, years of working for free, years for doing pro bono work, years of just getting, you know, getting our foot in the door to to make it a reality. So um, I couldn't agree mm-hmm.
0: more. Absolutely, Jake, I agree. It's it's. um. Yeah, As you say, passion's and overuse, but a pretty accurate word.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, Sophie, where are you off to next? Are you able to tell us? Do you have things We're lined working up? in
0: the UK. I am so excited because actually we have one hell of a country here to work in. And there is a lot going on right now here, which is fabulous. And I am off to spend a couple of weeks in the countryside. And I am super looking forward to it because I live in London. So I'm going to go and I'm going to live the... The dream and get out there and that's an absolute example i'm filming something that is very unglamorous um but hopefully we'll make it spectacular and brilliant
1: well you know? that, that's wonderful that's wonderful and you <laughs> know the, the I, I think slowly the world is opening back up now and um and we're we're able to start looking at kind of traveling again and and yeah, getting absolutely. back to work yeah which well, is... I'm
0: working um you had janet um janet this ring on the other yeah. week and we're I'm, I'm part of a team called queen's And we're making a wonderful um, six one-hours on a female perspective in nature. And myself and Justine Evans are the uh, co-DPing it. We're both um, DPing it, which is fantastic because that's how we do it. And we've got um, six fabulous one-hours and we are actively as well mentoring women into craft. So we've got um, Tanya Esteban and... um, Tanya Escobar, excuse me, I am so sorry. Uh, two Tanyas, would you believe. And right. Esteban is wonderful, but we're working with Tanya Escobar from Mexico and Aaron Ranny from Alaska as our mentees. And um, and also with Faith Musembi in Kenya and uh, various other people throughout the world. And um, it's going to be on Nat Geo or maybe even Disney Plus in 2023. So there you go.
1: Fantastic. Well, wonderful. It's always nice to be able to hear about what people are doing. So much of the time in this industry, we just can't talk about what we're doing.
0: Unless we shouldn't talk about it, but, you know, don't tell
1: (laughs) Right. We won't tell Janet, okay? No, no, you can tell Janet.
0: I love Janet. She's awesome
1: fantastic well it's been uh, Sophie a pleasure having you here on the thank show you. thank you so much I could chat with you for hours so we'll probably have to have you back at another time and talk about the projects you've been working well,
0: on once Queen's is done we'll be back on I'll come back on with Aaron or Tanya or Faith there you go well, I've been in
1: I've been chatting with Ryan. Aaron. I've been chatting with Aaron about having her on the show so um
0: she so. is magic that yeah, woman, I love her. Hoping her to on. everyone she very soon. She's such an inspiration, and she is hands down, she is so impressive. So get her on.
1: Well, wonderful. Now, if people want to follow you, find out what you're doing, see some amazing pictures of you in the field, where do they find you online?
0: Well, as I think, as you know, that they can't see anything we do in the field because we sign NDAs. So we're not allowed right. one thing. So you'll see pictures of ducks or films from years right. ago. But, um, Sophie D Wildlife is my Instagram and um i have no idea what my twitter is it'll be something like who does
1: twitter anymore anyway <laughs> the pigeon
0: yeah but um but if people want to send um, um my emails uh, my my website should work to send me um, um um and i'm very happy always to critique as i'm sure you are um show reels but as long as they're less than 3 minutes more yes, than that perfect
1: it, well, that's great to know. And, and I think that's very valid for people looking to put show reels together. Keep them short and sweet.
0: And make sure every shot
1: counts. Yes. Short.
0: I want Perfect. to know well, hmm.
1: Great advice. Thank you so much. I'll put your links up on our uh, on the webpage for your episode. We'll put the links in there so people can find you. And um, thank you again. It's been a pleasure. My
0: absolute pleasure. Good luck. Take care now.
1: If you've enjoyed this episode of the Master Wildlife Filmmaking Podcast, then please leave a rating and a comment. And remember to subscribe to keep up to date with the series' future episodes. You can find out more information about wildlife filming at jakewillers.com. And if you're interested in starting a career in the wildlife filmmaking industry or being mentored to further your career, then please visit jakewillers.com forward slash mentorship. Thanks for listening.